welcome to the 27th episode of the LI Law Podcast. I am your host, Zahava Schechter. The premise of the podcast is to feature issues, developments, and topics affecting the law and how it relates to the 8 million of us who live and work on Long Island, New York, which includes Nassau, Suffolk, Queens, and Kings Counties. If you live or work on Long Island, this podcast on local and state legislative and judicial decisions is for you. Our guest on this 27th episode is Rabbi Dr. Stephen Moss, who retired in October 2019 as chairman of the Suffolk County Human Rights Commission, where he served for 28 years since 1992. Rabbi Moss also served as co-chair of the Suffolk County Anti-Bias Task Force and chair of the Islip Town Anti-Bias Task Force in the battle against anti-Semitism and other biased crimes. He is the longest sitting member on the Islip Town Board of Ethics and the director and founder of Stop Bias, an educational program for bias and hate crime offenders. Rabbi Moss also serves as chaplain to the Suffolk County Police Department since 1986 and holds the rank of chief of chaplains. Rabbi Moss also serves as chaplain at various local hospitals and skilled nursing assisted living homes in the Suffolk community. Rabbi Moss is Rabbi Emeritus of B'nai Israel Reform Temple in Oakdale, New York, President of the Suffolk County Board of Rabbis, and past President of numerous local and county organizations. He is also Chair of the Center for the Holocaust, Diversity, and Human Understanding, located in the Library of the Selden Campus of Suffolk Community College. Please check out the show notes for a full list of Rabbi Moss's credentials and contact information. Please keep in mind that we will not be providing legal advice to any specific questions. Rabbi Moss, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Zahava. Okay, so could you please tell us, Rabbi Moss, about your background and how you came to do this public service work? I've been serving in the Long Island community uh, since 1972 when I came to B'nai Israel. I've always been very oriented towards social action. I'm quite sure that in many ways I would thank my parents, uh, Ira and Doris, they should rest in peace. Uh, for inspiring me to be out there and to care about all human beings. As time went on, I began to develop uh, programs uh, which dealt with bias and prejudice in a very interesting way. Going back to 1991, actually, uh, during the administration of County Executive Pat Halpin, uh, he had brought together various clergy for a meeting uh, at the County Executive's office in Hopog. Uh, And at this meeting, most of the clergy were minority clergy. Uh, we began to sit around and we said to each other, you know, it's great to be together, but we should be making some kind of an impact upon the community. What should we be doing as clergy, as men and women of faith and from our various faith traditions, obviously Jewish and Christian at that time? And it was that we decided uh, to develop what's called the Suffolk County Anti-Bias Task Force into Faith Anti-Bias Task Force because we felt that as clergy, as people of God, is is that we can be healers to a community when bias and prejudice tear apart communities and individuals and certainly families and their lives. And so we established that task force. Uh, We began to uh, work together, uh, dealing with issues on a county level, Uh, but but then it dawned upon us that just like a a fire department would be totally foolish to have one fire department for all of a county. And so we began to develop within the 10 towns of the county, each one of them having their own anti-bias task force. And actually with the help of many people, I spent two years working with town supervisors and town boards to establish anti-bias task forces in all of the towns of the county. Okay, and what is the purpose of the anti-bias task force? What do they do? It is bringing together members of a community, self-selected for the most part, although in some of the towns, 
Uh, it's written into their codes that either the town board or other officials can appoint the members of a task force. But like, for instance, the one in Islip, which has been functioning uh, probably since 1993, 1994, we are there without being appointed. Uh, same thing on the county level. But the point is this, is that people come together. Everyone is an equal partner in developing the solutions to deal with the problems of bias, prejudice, racism within that town. Whether it's the supervisor or a person who simply cleans the streets, everyone is an equal participant. Titles do not mean anything because everyone suffers. And if I may add, is that going back to the purpose, it's twofold, just like a fire department. One is to be reactive when incidents occur in a town, and the other is to be proactive, developing programs, particularly of an educational nature, particularly in the schools. How did you come to be named chairman of the Suffolk County Human Rights Commission, and what was your goal during your tenure there? Well, interestingly enough, we were working on the anti-bias task forces, and at that time, going back to the 1990s, is, is that there were some legislators here in Suffolk County who wanted to basically budget the Human Rights Commission of the county out of existence. We felt that this would be a terrible thing to happen, obviously, for many reasons. And if none other than the fact is, is that at that time, uh, legislators said, why spend this money locally? There is a state division of human rights. However, at that time, the backlog of cases on the state division in Albany was years before anything was even looked at in terms of a case. And so we began to hold hearings and whatnot. We saved the Human Rights Commission from being budgeted out. What kind of cases come before the commission? Uh, the commission deals with discrimination, not criminal law. Over the years, uh, probably the most, the largest number of cases to this, even to this very day, as hard as it is to believe, still happens, and that is discrimination against women in the workplace. However, there's a growing concern, of course, it's always been here, and that is regarding housing issues. Um, and so that's another one of the major areas where we uh, that we're dealing with. So that's a great segue into the recent study done by Newsday and other uh, newspapers concerning housing discrimination, specifically in Nassau County, although I see that it does affect oh, yes. Suffolk County as well. What cases and what, what kinds of issues do you see are involved in these discrimination actions? Well, with housing, particularly apparently from the issue that was brought up in Newsday, uh, it really deals with uh, steering. Uh, and that people looking for a home. Uh, and uh, as a, re a friend of mine recently who was in the real estate business said to me, uh, the word out there is, what is the color that a realtor is dealing with? The color is called green. You wanna sell the house. And therefore, unfortunately, you'll steal certain people and, and couples, customers, um, to certain areas in order to get the green, in order to appeal to them, unfortunately, in this case, uh, in a very biased in times and prejudiced ways. So steering is basically sending, let's say, African-American potential purchasers to African-American primarily neighborhoods and Caucasian well, customers yeah, well, to Caucasian primarily well, net neighborhoods, right. correct? But actually, well, yes, that is true, but it works the other way. And that's the problem is, is that a, a, a Caucasian couple would be steered away from a community in which is mostly African-American. I think instead, this in one of the articles, or I heard this from someone, uh, this couple was interested in a certain community and uh, the realtor said, oh, you know, there are a lot of gangs here. Well, that's steering them away from it. 
uh, from that community. So that was a code word for you don't want to be here. This is a minority community or African-American community. Exactly. Yeah. Does this involve religious discrimination as well? Or is it totally based on the color of your skin? Well, it can be. Let us say, for instance, a Jewish couple. Understandably, uh, the couple might say, uh, are there synagogues here in this area? Well, actually, I've been told by someone in the real estate business, you cannot say, yes, there are. There's another way of, I forget the phrasing that it is. Realtors have to be very careful of what they say, because if they are not, um, they, of course, could be brought up for charges of discrimination. Okay. And you are also director and founder of Stop Bias, an educational program for bias hate crime offenders. What does that organization do? Uh, during the course, the program was first established in 1992. During the history, we've had over 550 defendants come to the program. Uh, the youngest was 10 years old, the oldest 64 years old. For the juveniles, they were sent to us through probation and obviously for adults through the courts. Um, and it based, the, the goal of the program was to offer an educational component uh, to sentencing. It never could be used in lieu of, uh, let us say, going to jail, but rather it was another component uh, to be utilized, a and, very powerful one. And how do you measure uh, success in that program? Did you follow up with the defendants or were they in touch with you afterwards? Um, the, the follow, no, we, we never, we didn't follow up in that sense. There was no official following up. Um, however, I could say that at the 550, no one ever came back to the program. So I guess that's a good thing. But I guess if I may briefly just uh, share a case um, and, and this was, uh, there was this uh, young man, uh, Caucasian, uh, who was involved with beating up and terrorizing black kids in, the, in his high school. Uh, and he was uh, arrested, uh, and obviously it was terms of, in terms of aggravated harassment. Uh, he met with one of our teachers in the program, an African-American minister, um, and, they, and it turned out to be, and this was not required, it was in this African-American minister's church, a Baptist church. Uh, the meeting together was over six hours. It was only required to meet with the defendant for two hours, but he ended up being in the church for six hours. At the end of being together, this young man said to the minister, you know something, I really appreciate what you've shared with me today. Can I come back and worship in your church? I guess that's an example of how we did make an impact. Not only made an impact, but hopefully beyond educating, you changed the trajectory of his life so that hopefully he would not be committing these actions anymore. Right, hopefully. Your resume is very impressive, uh, Rabbi Dr. Moss, but, and you also serve as chaplain to the Suffolk County Police Department since 1986. How did that come about? Uh, well, going back to that time, there were a few members of my synagogue who were on the department uh, here in Suffolk County, and they were looking for another rabbi as a chaplain. Uh, we had at that time six uh, chaplains of different faiths, uh, and they asked me would I be interested. And um, I never thought about doing this in my entire life, uh, but I said, yeah, it sounds like it's an interesting thing. And I must say that in terms of my overall rabbinate and the things I've done over these years, one thing that I hold very, very dear, and I still do, uh, and that is being a chaplain to the police department. I do so with honor. I wear my uniform with, with great pride. Uh, and I was very pleased when they promoted me upon my retirement to actually becoming a chaplain emeritus, the first one in the history of the county. And what kind of work did you do as chaplain of the Suffolk County Police Department? Well, certainly part of our chaplain's role is officiating various functions, uh, be it promotions or uh, graduations or unfortunately at funeral services. Uh, may there not be very many of those to be sure, um, but also doing counseling, hospital visits, um, and as well as to be with the officers to let them know that we, the department and all of us represent the fact is that it's not simply doing a job 
but rather this is a calling, a police officer. Um, and therefore, there is a spiritual component that our Suffolk County Police Department recognizes in a most admirable way. I understand you're also chair of the Center for the Holocaust, Diversity and Human Understanding, located right. in the library of the Selden campus of Suffolk Community College. How did that come about and what kind of work do you do there? Well, I must correct it. We've actually changed the title uh, to being the Center for Social Justice and Human Understanding. We do have an incredible Holocaust exhibit uh, and it's located in the library uh, at the Nichols Road campus uh, of Suffolk Community College. Uh, this is primarily funded by the college and just like the title says, um, we do many, many programs under the leadership of our executive director currently, uh, Jill Santiago. Um, and we do marvelous programs, not only for the students in the college, uh, there's, I forget the number, but thousands of students attend Suffolk Community College and all three campuses, but also for an outreach to the community as well, dealing with the subjects of obviously racism, bias, and bringing awareness to students today, which is very important for why, for what reason, because they represent our future. And as the longest sitting member on the Islip Town Board of Ethics, what types of matters do you hear? Well, it was mostly conflicts of interest or potential, I would say. Uh, and that is that um, uh, someone working in the town all of a sudden got a job outside of the town job that he, he or she has and wants to know, is that a conflict of interest? And that was basically what we did. How did you get appointed to that board? I guess because of my involvement in the community, uh, they approached me and they wanted a rabbi. Um, I did resign from that about a year and a half ago now, uh, knowing that I could no longer really devote the time uh, becoming now a snowbird. Okay. <laughs> and on a more personal level, your bike trip to the concentration camp Auschwitz was written up in Newsday. Could you please tell our listeners about that experience? Well, there's an incredible uh, ride that's called Ride for the Living that uh, now occurs uh, at the end of June or beginning of July. And the purpose of the ride uh, is, is to raise funds for the Jewish Community Center in Krakow, which is really a, an amazing, amazing institution in that community, servicing thousands of not only Jews, but non-Jewish community members as well, socially, educationally, culturally, etc., and also serving meals as too. Uh, however, um, the ride was amazing uh, in that it's a one-day, 60-mile ride uh, from the gates of Auschwitz uh, to Krakow. Uh, one of the riders, there were about 250 riders this year. Uh, this was the seventh, I think, year of the ride. The first year they had 13. Uh, one of the riders, a, na a man named Bernard Offen, a 90-year-old who was an Auschwitz survivor. He rode about 30 miles on the ride. And imagine what it was for him, as well as for all of us, getting on our bicycles. Actually, the day before we got a tour of Auschwitz, it was my first time being there. Um, and then getting on our bikes the next day in front of the train station, which is now iconic. I mean, it's in all the movies and whatnot. And then getting on our bikes and starting to pedal away from there. And the impact was so tremendous. I kept on saying to myself as I'm riding on my bike, at what point, at what mileage uh, marker do they no longer smell the smell of death coming from the crematoria? Where was that? Was it five miles? Was it 10 miles? Was it 20 miles on a windy day? Was it more than that? The impact was very great. After the ride was over, I left the bike there. It wasn't mine. It was uh, given, lent to us for the ride that day for all the riders. But then I also continued uh, for the next week and a half going to two other concentration camps, Theresen and Treblinka. Um, and actually, I've developed now a, um, a PowerPoint presentation called From Darkness to Light, um, because the Jewish community in many ways in that part of the world is actually thriving. Uh, it's hard to, it's, it's incredible. Uh, and truly, it, it really is um, 
which I say metaphorically, um, it really is the idea of the phoenix of rising from the up from the dust from the ashes of the commun of the concentration camps and the crematoria uh, to life in the future. Okay, and now we're going to move to our segment called "Only on Long Island." Something that you see, Rabbi Moss, on Long Island affecting our residents, and your particular perspective on how this affects our community. Bias and prejudice are endemic. Unfortunately, I've come to believe uh, to the human condition. It is very, very sad uh, how human beings simply don't respect others in many ways. Bullying is an example of this, certainly. Uh, the need uh, to put down someone else at your, uh, at your expense, uh, to build you up in a sense. And so the work never ends. Uh, we see this particularly in schools. It is just frightening the things that go on. And thereby, number one is, it is very important for people to be educated should never and every person should understand nothing should ever go unreported no graffiti no word that is said should simply be looked away from uh, but rather should be reported and dealt with whether it's in school with our children or with adults as well the world we are living in today is filled with so much bias and prejudice um, I do believe in the trickle-down theory of hate, uh, and that is when those who are at the top of our society are speaking in certain ways, it does trickle down to the behavior of others. Our community here in, in, on Long Island, uh, there have been a number of graffitis, uh, Nazi uh, swastika, swastikas, I should say, um, at the uh, Nassau Cultural Center for the Holocaust. Yesterday, uh, there was a press conference uh, at which both county executives, Suffolk and Nassau, attended and spoke about the need to establish a task force to deal with this. But what is the purpose of task forces? Again, similar to the ones that I've established, we've established here in Suffolk. The need to be reactive to the incidents that are going on, working with police departments, etc. when people are caught to prosecute and not to be afraid to prosecute, no matter what the age. But the other part is to be proactive, to continually to educate, and that is to make sure that everyone knows that what one says and what one does, does make a difference because it can destroy lives. And on that note, that's it for our 27th episode. Thank you, Rabbi Stephen Moss, for coming on the podcast today. You're very welcome. My honor, my pleasure. To our listeners, be sure to download this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you are there, please rate us with a review that might start. I just heard on the LA Law podcast that Governor Cuomo signed into law on November 25th, 2019, a law that a consumer's credit score cannot be affected by their social network to determine their credit worthiness. This includes a consumer's social media activity as well as factoring in the credit scores of their Facebook and Twitter friends. Governor Cuomo stated, quote, basing someone's credit score on who they know is not only an invasion of privacy, it is a way for these agencies to unfairly target and penalize low-income New Yorkers, end quote. The LI Law Podcast lets you know what's going on on Long Island and is your podcast for local tips which educate and entertain. Thanks for listening.